if we haven't met, my name is John Robinson. I'm one of the pastors here at Liberty, and it's my joy to be with you this morning and to share God's word with you. Uh, if you will, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, if you uh, are using one of those black hardcover Bibles in the seats in front of you, it's going to be on page 962. Page 962. As we're uh, reading and and working through our passage, working through that passage this week, uh, I, I came to to think about something. So I want you to I want you to think about this as you turn to 1 Corinthians 16. Have you ever stopped to think about what motivates you? Like what really motivates you? And 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 you may be asking a question right now, John. Why are you asking me that today, at this time of the day? I'm, you're lucky that I've just made it here this morning. I really don't need deep deep questions like what really motivates me. But we need to ask that question. We need to find out, and we need to, to, to really start to understand what is, our, what is our motivation in life? What are the things that, that drive you? What, what causes you to work those extra hours? Uh, what are the things that, that may have moved you here to this area uh, from, from somewhere that you were familiar with to somewhere that you may not know anyone? Uh, what are the things that, that motivate you uh, to... To, to, to keep going, to keep moving forward. Because people are motivated by a lot of things. Like there, are, there are many, many things that motivate each and every one of us. Um, there are extrinsic things. Extrinsic motivations are things that, that we may benefit from, things that external rewards that we may get, uh, whether that be a paycheck or things that we can uh, benefit from, uh, perks, if you will, of of, of working harder or longer. Um, even the avoidance of, of getting fired is why we would work harder or longer. There's, there's also intrinsic motivations. Intrinsic motivations are things that, uh, that for yourself, like you, just, you get joy out of, like you, uh, you appreciate it. Uh, you feel internally rewarded, all right? Uh, and for some of us, there, there's a study recently, the, the Academy of Management uh, Journal uh, looked up these different motivating factors, and they found that um, there's a third category that they, they didn't really consider, uh, which is family. Family's a big motivator. It doesn't necessarily fall into uh, the, the extrinsic or the intrinsic, but they, they said this, they said uh, they looked at a group of factory workers whose job entailed performing the same mundane task day after day without any reward uh, for good performance. And you would think that the absence of both intrinsic and extrinsic motivators, their workers would have uh, had little incentive to work hard in their roles. But what the researchers found was that some people who lacked both kinds of motivation are still spurred on by a third factor called family motivation. And maybe family is the thing that motivates you. Uh, maybe family and providing for your kids and having, you know, seeing your kids' uh, future uh, in front of you and having a vision for that is a motivating factor for you. But I would say what we're going to even look at today, that there's a fourth motivating factor. There's a fourth motivating factor, one that we um, will explore this morning in our passage in 1 Corinthians. And that, that one being uh, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ being a, a motivating factor. So turn with me now um, to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, uh, to this book that we love. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, 
So you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable, I should go also, and they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me in my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as am I. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge you, urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, for you know that the households of Stephanus were the first converts of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fertinus and Achaeus, because they have made up for your absence, for they were refreshing to my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greeting. Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house send you a hearty greeting in the Lord. All the brothers send you a greeting. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Spirit of God, as we ask you to come down now to illuminate our minds and our hearts while we hear and speak your word. Father, we cannot understand and cannot obey unless you give us light and lead us in your light. Come now and lead us in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're seeing now in in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians the end of a very long and uh, and detailed letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. Um, This farewell address um, that we see in chapter 16 needs to be read in the context, obviously, of, of all of 1 Corinthians, but specifically with the, um, with the end of, of what 15, of what we've read last week, what Pastor Matt preached on. Um, otherwise, 16 just looks like a lot of details and some plans and a, and a greeting to, to, to some people and, and, and uh, you know, future plans for, for Paul's ministry. A lot of commentators think of this chapter as like really a right turn and almost like why is this, why why was this specifically included in in what uh, Paul wrote here? Uh, But it is uh, revealing to us 
specifically because of the motivations that exist for Paul. Uh, the motivations of the gospel, of what we have read in, verse, in, in chapter 15, specifically in verse 55. If you'll look quickly, kind of turn your page back if you need to, to verse 55 of chapter 15. This is the context of which of what was written for what we see now in 16. Now, let me also remind you that like, this is one letter. We, you know, this, he wasn't writing chapters at the time. This is a continued thought of Paul. Verse 55, actually 50, 54b, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the context of what Paul is saying here. And then he starts talking about specifically the outworkings of the gospel the outworkings of the truth of the gospel, the, the transforming power of the gospel um, is now moving Paul, and he has specifically three things that I'd love for us to look at now um, in, in chapter 16. Uh, the, in light of the resurrection, to give, in light of the resurrection, to go, and in light of the resurrection, grace. These three things are themes in chapter 16, that we need to explore this morning. So, um, our first point, in light of the resurrection, give. In light of the resurrection, give. In verse one, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church in Galatia, so you also are to do. This, um, this direction, because of what the gospel has done and the transforming power of the gospel, uh, because of what he said in 15, he now says there's a collection. This collection was collected through uh, different churches that Paul was a part of planting and a part of strengthening to go to Jerusalem. Uh, there was a need, there's a great need for uh, financial uh, relief in Jerusalem. Early in the, in, the first, in the first centuries of the church of Jesus Christ, there was um, a, a sense of uh, of setting people aside, of, of really putting people out uh, because of their now their new belief in Jesus. They weren't a part of the culture. They weren't a part of the fabric of the community. Uh, they were considered worshiping someone else. And so they would, in essence, lose jobs. They would lose property. They would lose opportunity. And, and so therefore, because of a, an influx of people coming to Jerusalem, Paul Paul was directing the churches to send money to Jerusalem to support this effort. And, and in so doing, he was kind of connecting Gentiles with the, the historic Jewish uh, base there in Jerusalem. He was, he was taking people who were considered outsiders and bringing them into uh, the, the, continue, the continuum of uh, their faith. One commentator said this, he says, there's much to be said for the benefits of like-minded churches putting their resources together to address a problem or meet a need that could not be effectively met by one or two churches on their own. And it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that motivates us, therefore, to be generous, 
to look outside of ourselves to see the needs both locally and globally. There are, um, there are so many needs that we could focus in on, and we, we, get to, we get to hear of some of the needs that we get to be a part of, like we did just now from Sandy this morning, of Capital Area Pregnancy Center here in our, in our own backyard. Uh, there are many churches who gather together to support ministries like that. Uh, if you are, go into our um, the area right here to my right uh, in our fellowship hall, you'll see some of the different ministries that we partner with. You'll see some of the churches that we support, and we're not alone in supporting these things. This is the work of God that, that brings us together because collectively, we, we can do more. We can support more if we do things together. Because we worship a global God. We worship a God who is in different countries, and there are different needs that we get to be a part of. Uh, most specifically, what comes to mind was, was Joe Marlin uh, in Gloucester City. Um, Joe is in a, in a very depressed area. Uh, he's bringing the gospel to people who are in deep, deep need of hope. He's bringing the gospel to, to families who are in need of, of, of help. And he's doing that. And, and we know from, from Joe's situation and where he is to support the ministry in the way that he needs, he's not going to be able to raise that money internally. He's not going to be able to do that by himself. He's not going to be self-sustaining. And this is a work that could go on for 40, 50 years with Joe at the helm, and he'll never be able to be self-sustaining. But we get to be a part of the global work, the local work of ministries like that. We also get to be a part of the work of, of the ministry of Redeemer Dubai. Uh, in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get the, the chance to, to hear from Scott Zeller, um, they're coming back, we're excited to see them, but we get to also be a part of what they're doing over there to support Redeemer Dubai, who is doing a great work uh, internationally of training people and sending the gospel out to countries that are closed off. We get to be a part of ministries that, that meet really tangible and spiritual needs, like water is basic. Uh, we get to train up pastors uh, in Africa with alarm. These are the ministries that we get to be a part of because we're taking the example of what Scripture has set for us here, uh, as Paul did it early in the church's life, of, of being a part of a global effort to support the kingdom. And we do this. We get to do this. And we're motivated by this because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, it's, it's great that we get to do nice things, but what's our true motivation here is we want to see the gospel go forth. We want to see people know Jesus to be redeemed and restored and renewed because Jesus is alive. We get to be generous and we can give. In light of the resurrection, we can be generous and give. And the second theme that we see here in chapter 16 is that in light of the resurrection, we go. In light of the resurrection, we go. Paul is, uh, he was probably considered like the first missionary, or I had a professor in Bible college say, uh, he would always reference Paul as the great missionary, Paul. Um, that, was his, that was his connection. He'd always say the great missionary, Paul, uh, which really puts into context what Paul was doing. But Paul was a, he was a church planner, and he was a church strengthener. He would send people and mobilize people to plant churches. And he went from place to place doing that. Um, 
I was looking at a lot of maps this week of like the the uh, of the the ancient Near East um, of where Paul would have gone in his missionary journeys, and and it wasn't he didn't just jump on a plane, right? Paul didn't Paul didn't have the opportunity to get somewhere fast. It would take him days or weeks, sometimes months, to get from one location to another. To get from Greece um, to Jerusalem uh, would it take at least three weeks if he was able to take a boat. If he had the finances to take a boat, it would take a couple of weeks. Sometimes they would walk. They would, they would walk all around. They would go through modern-day Turkey and walk down. Um, and taking this time, you have to be really motivated. You have to be motivated. You, and something that is above yourself to take this time. And, and what Paul has gone through, getting from location to location, being shipwrecked, being beaten, being stoned and thrown out of cities. Paul's motivation here had to be bigger than himself. It had to be bigger than just an intrinsic motivation or an extrinsic motivation or family. It had to be bigger than that. And so Paul, his intention uh, through all of this had to be the gospel. It is the one thing that can take a man like Paul and take him around the world uh, going from location to location and putting up with what he did, um, he had to see for himself the value of, of the transformed life. And so as Paul was motivated to go, so also we should be motivated to go. He says in, in verse 5, I will, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, which I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you uh, or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey. He could have passed through and seen them quickly, but Paul's intention is not just to see people uh, for a brief moment, but to really pour his life into the church at Corinth. And if he couldn't be there, he would send somebody who could. He said, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as am I. Paul's motivation is the gospel, to see the gospel transform communities. But we can quickly elevate Paul into a, to an unrealistic uh, person, to, a, to an icon that is not uh, real. We can kind of make a caricature of Paul because we see all that Paul does. And you're like, there's no way, there's no way I could do anything like that. There's no way I, I, would, I would put up with Paul with what Paul put up with. We could, see, we could easily see that. But the fact is, the same thing that motivated Paul is the same thing that should motivate you and I. It's the same thing that is motivating Casey and Katie to move to Lebanon, or not, well, to, to plant in Lebanon. They're already in Lebanon. Um, but that same thing could be what God is calling you to do calling you to, to move, to, to leave where you are, to go, because it is the gospel that, that truly can transform a life, that can transform a family, that can change the, the outcome of an entire generation. So it's, it's not, does it practically make sense on paper? Does it, is it logical? Is it beneficial for us? Is it good for our family? The question we have to ask when we're called to go is, has God called us to go? And if he has, then what is our choice but to go? Paul, Paul didn't sit down and look at 
the map and go, well, this would be beneficial for me to go this way or not to go there. He was called by the gospel to go. What drives us to share the gospel, to be present um, in these places, is beyond us. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but we see the need and we know the power of the gospel because we felt it and experienced it in our own lives. And so we must go. But we don't have to just go to another country. We don't just have to go to another city. We need to go even to our neighborhoods. So we're not doing that in our neighborhoods with the people that we work with. Will we truly be called to um, going somewhere else to do that? The people who live around you, God has called you to that place. The people that you work with, God has called you to that people. You get the opportunity to create these relationships, to get to know your neighbors. And we do that. We, we sacrifice time and effort and energy and resources because the gospel motivates us to do so. We, we have a global call as God's church, but we also have a local call. The mission is to spread the gospel regardless of where we are and so because Jesus is alive, we go. In light of the resurrection, our third point today is in light of the resurrection, there's grace. There's grace. And this theme is, is a theme that we, we see throughout all of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a... Um, it's a very diagnostic book, right? It takes, it takes a lot of the call of the Christian, the impact of the gospel on people's lives, and we, and we really we see through that uh, areas that, that, are, that are dirty in our own lives. We see areas that are uh, in need of, of pruning. We see areas that are in need of, of, of being chiseled away. It calls out the sin in our hearts, and so in reading that, and, and I, can, I can imagine the church at Corinth reading this book, as, uh, reading this, this letter from Paul, and, and there being difficult things said, hard things said about specific situations and specific people. And I imagine them reading this, and, and it being a hard pill to swallow, but what we see here at the end of the letter is, is I believe, Paul's, Paul's true pastoral heart for them. He loves this church. Uh, Paul would never be accused of mincing words. He would never be accused of, of, of not being able to step into hard situations. Paul speaks the truth into hard situations. And sometimes, here, it's, it's not easy it's not easy to hear. A, a, a good indicator that this was hard to receive is 2 Corinthians. If you read 2 Corinthians, you're like, no, they didn't like what Paul had to say. Um, and sometimes that's hard to receive maybe, you know, in an in a ancient email. Um, it would have been easier in, in face-to-face. But, but they, they, kind of, they kind of ended up disowning Paul, like dropping him like a middle school relationship, like, like, we're not gonna, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Like, we really liked Apollos. 
Like, Apollos was great. He's a nice guy. We would prefer Apollos. Paul, not so much. Um, and we do, this, we do the same thing, though, when, when we're met with hard words. When we're met with people who, who see us for who we are. Like, they don't see what we've presented to them. Like, they actually get to know us. They get to know us, and they see, they see that we're, we're, you know, we're not as consistent as maybe we should be. Now, we, we didn't keep our word. Like, yeah, we, we probably, probably didn't, uh, didn't handle that situation too well. Right? They see us for who we are, and when they, when they speak into our lives and give us truth, we have a, we have a fight or flight mentality. We either want to just deny it and just write it off, or we, we don't want to be around those people anymore. That's, that's the, the tendency that we have, the mentality that most of us have, and that I know that I have, is that, is that when someone speaks hard words, it's, it's difficult to hear, and my response is not usually the best. But I'm grateful for the ways in which, at Liberty Here, we are um, committed to each other. If you've uh, seen recently our our in-covenant uh, vows or heard our in-covenant vows or you maybe have taken those in-covenant vows. Uh, specifically, the fourth vow, which says this, do you covenant to humbly receive input and correction from your brothers and sisters, always to strive for unity and peace in our community, to also submit yourselves to the oversight and discipline of the elders? Which means that there's going to be truths that are spoken that are going to be difficult to hear. But in the same way, we're doing what Paul is doing here. We speak those truths into each other's lives, not because that, that puts us in a different position or we try to elevate ourselves above another person or we try to show that we're more morally superior. It's because uh, the gospel has motivated us to, to speak these truths because we truly love each other. Loving someone isn't always allowing them to have full license to do whatever they want. That's not love. I love my children. I don't let them do whatever they want. If my son was to run out into the street, I'm going to be yelling for him to stop, pleading with him, don't move as he runs towards 15, right? Literally, last week, there was a gap in the fence, and whose kid was on the other side of the fence? Mine. Right? It's not do what you want, have fun. You have full license to live however you want to live. No, true love and true grace is me saying to my son, there are boundaries these boundaries are good for you. They are good for your heart. They are good for your life. I love you. And I want you to live within the bounds that are good for you. And so Paul wrote to the church at Corinth saying, there are boundaries. You are shipwrecking your life if you allow yourself to continue in these things. And it's not easy to hear Friends, when we read scripture, there's going to be stuff we don't like. And that's kind of the point. 
Because we're not going to, we don't, we don't ever fall into righteousness. It's not an accident, right? We never, we never accidentally fall into righteousness and, and thinking the right way. Like, we fall into sin. We fall into sin. But, but right living requires attention. It requires discipline. It requires a community of people to do that with. We need the grace of God, but we also need each other, which is why Paul sent Timothy, why he sent Apollos, and why he would go himself to minister to this community. Because, as Proverbs 27, 6 says, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. He loves them, and he's willing to wound their conscience. He's willing to wound their uh, perception. He's willing to take that flack himself because he loves them so much. Are we willing to love each other that much? Does the gospel motivate us to love each other that much? That we are willing to say hard things, not because we want to take a, a, a higher position than someone, but because we truly love them and want what's good for them. Grace itself is not a synonym for license or ignoring someone and their situation. Grace is intended, it's a synonym for entering in, to being a part of people's lives. And we ourselves, because of what Christ has done, we receive this grace. As Ephesians 2, 8 says this, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Paul would go on to say to the, to the church at Ephesians in, in chapter 4, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another, and God in, as God in Christ has forgiven you. This grace that we show to each other means we enter in, but we bear with each other the burdens of entering in. Friends, if we don't have time to do that, if we have not made that time, there are other things that need to die. There are other things that we need to stop doing so that we can make the time to enter in and to truly love each other because Jesus is alive and therefore we need to give grace as we have received grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection should be our greatest motivation. It is the one thing that will sustain us. It is the one thing that will push us forward. It is the one thing that will motivate us until death. Many times, it's not though. So we need weekly reminders together. And we need daily reminders on our own through the reading of the word of God. This message, this gospel, this hope is our motivation. Our motivation to give, our motivation to go, and our motivation for grace. So let's pray. Father, we are living our lives right here and right now in light of the resurrection. And yet, we often forget so, Father, forgive us for our failings, our short memories, our idolatry of, of comfort, our, our idolatry of ease, of, of pleasure and want, and grant us 
Grant us, Father, more grace that we may be motivated not by the, the temporal pleasures of the world, but by your eternal glory. May we always be quick to confess that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again.